Hi, I'm Paul Ellis from Wireless Adventures, and you're listening to The Melting Podcast. You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey, Lexiconosaurs and Word Chefs, welcome to episode 24 of The Melting Podcast. I'm your head chef, A.F. Grappin. And I think they know that by now. We might have new listeners. <gasps> I love new listeners! Who the hell are you? The Grill Mistress, oh. Aaron Kazma. Okay, then. And who's up for a main ingredient story? Finally, another main ingredient! I love these things! It's been a while. It has been a while. I mean, we had the Christmas story, but that... That was special. That was special. And it made me cry. So we're moving on from our Christmas episodes, which were sweet and a little twisted some ways, but that's the best way to be. But now we're moving on to something just a bit grittier this time. Bon Appetit. Kronos Iterum by Paul K. Ellis. Important career tip. Never show contempt for a corporate judge in her own court. Seriously. It will get you reassigned to the ass end of nowhere. Case in point, my transport, the Jean Fontenot, wheezed towards the orbital, thruster spasming. The nose of the 40-year-old shuttle didn't so much kiss the dock as careen into it at speed, the impact slamming my seat into my spine. The pilot was Union, so as long as we could walk away from the landing. Truth be told, I wasn't worried. The structurally integral parts of the seals and docking clamps crumpled to kill the craft's momentum. The resultant leaks just added to the ambiance. Nope, I didn't worry about that at all. You see, I was certain the station would kill me long before the air and fuel bled out. Welcome to Antipodes Station, situated at the L3 Lagrange point on the far side of the sun, well outside the protection of Earth's magnetosphere. My rad badge was clicking like a cricket on meth. I was getting irradiated by cosmic rays and exposed to high-level proton bombardments. The shielding here was for shit, by design. I had been exiled to the cooker. I unbuckled and lurched out of my seat. The gravity generation here was about what you would expect from an EarthGov facility, meaning I banged my head against the ceiling while getting my bearings. By minor miracle, the airlock cycled open. It protested, the door grinding in the warp track, but it opened. They hadn't fully equalized the pressure, though, and the imbalance slammed me into the overhead. Again. I hate being on the Outer Colony Tour. I rubbed my head and contemplated what form my apology should take. It would be a while before my boss could justify the ROI to get me back planetside. The judge wasn't completely unreasonable, but I had been... Uh, indelicate with uncomplimentary comparisons. A box of chocolates wouldn't get me out of this one. Maybe wine. Or flowers. Real ones. Marshall? A small voice asked. Marshall Gotrox? A station security officer stepped through the lock and grip slid over to me. Arcadius Gotrox? Arcady, I said. Or better yet, just call me Marshall. I'm really not a fan listening to people mispronounce my name. Or of local politics. I had both here. Seems the security chief stressed the importance of my visit by sending a flunky to meet me. Hard to blame him, really. 
No one took EarthGov very seriously anymore. I know I didn't. And you are? I asked. Sec Officer 2, Belinda Graves, the young lady said. She reminded me of someone, but I couldn't place who. Someone from another time. It would come to me. Well, Graves, are you briefing me, or is someone else? Let's get under some stronger shielding, she said, eyeing my exposure meter. The Commandant will brief you at 1500 local. I could hear the capital C and the click of boot heels in her voice. Swell. Federales. I felt better already. What is it, ten hundred now? I asked, following her past the airlock and onto the station proper. The lock ground shut with a screeching thud. It smelled like the sewage recycler had thrown up in the main air filtration unit. I fought the urge to retch. Through watering eyes, I saw her nod. Yeah, Graves, a five-hour delay ain't going to work. I don't want to be here any longer than your boss wants me here. Probably a great deal less. I've been inbound for the past five days. What other ducks does he need to get in a row? El Comandante can show me what he has now. She winced and stiffed, bobbing up and down a little in the low G. I'm sorry, sir, that's not procedure. The Commandant left strict instructions. I pushed past her, keying my data link. The corporations had been propping up EarthGov for decades, but bureaucrats still clung to the belief that they mattered. They should have planned better. My link pinged against their authentication protocols, bypassed them, and what do you know, my access was unrestricted. I started downloading files. That happens when you work for the people writing the software. That's all right, Graves. I don't need a minder. Tell El Jefe I overpowered you or something. And I'll see him when I need to see him. She actually grabbed my arm and spun me to face her. My gun arm. Sir, you are being deliberately offensive in violation of numerous EarthGov laws. Commandant Hakez has done nothing to warrant your racist rhetoric. I forced my left hand under hers, breaking her grip, and immediately rested my right hand on the butt of my gun. He's barely a security chief and insists you address him as the Commandant. He called me out here on a sealed EarthGov warrant for... I consulted the data link again and sliced through the ice on the seal. I couldn't believe it. This guy was a knob. Property damage? He wants a colonial marshal to assess property damage? And he expects me to cool my heels for half a cycle while he takes a siesta? He's a self-important little toady with delusions of significance. I'm clearing this mess off my tablet pronto and catching the next shuttle out. I'll even take that one, I said, hooking a thumb over my shoulder at the airlock. She blanched. I am obligated to report this violation to the station's chief counsel, sir. I took my hand off my firearm and waved it in a shooing motion. Report away, Graves, but consider this. I have been personally assigned here by a corporate judge. What does that tell you about where Haquez ranks in the grand scheme of things? I'll give her this. She stayed professional. I didn't even get a dirty look. She just grip slid away, down the corridor, whispering urgently into her link. And my boss tells me I lack people skills. Interpersonal communication is really not your thing, is it, sport? Antipodes' chief counsel, Eberardo Benitez, smirked. He was slick. I admire that. 
I kind of had to, being in custody and all. Oh, you have me all wrong, Counselor. I'm a peach, I said, considering my circumstances. Graves had yammered away into her data link, apparently rousing Hakez from his slumber with all the subtlety of kicking a hornet's nest. Moments later, El Jefe and two other security officers rushed me with weapons raised and jammers on, all the while shouting for me to get on the floor. I got. What else was there to do? Here I sat in holding room 3A, across from the grinning chief counsel and the scowling security chief. A lot of chiefs in the room, and no Indians. The lack of witnesses bothered me. I wasn't chained to the chair, so they showed that much good sense, though they relieved me of my tablet and firearm. That was probably good sense, too, given the monster sidearm the Commandant was packing. When Graves first mentioned Jaquez, I imagined a starch-suited clown, his uniform replete with meters of braids and kilos of metals. Boy, was I wrong. He wore a plain black tactical jumpsuit and scuffed combat boots, but his sidearm was the biggest hand cannon I had ever laid eyes on. It looked like it shot fifty caliber Beowulf rounds or larger. I couldn't tell, and he didn't say. Compensation comes in a variety of forms. He did lean against the back wall and glower. He was pretty good at that. Watch your mouth, Hakez barked. I can't. My nose gets in the way, I said. He started to puff up, but I cut him off. Benitez, are you going to hold me here until I miss the shuttle? Is that what this is about? Benitez held up a hand, cutting off whatever intellectual repost Hakez was working himself up to. At least, I think that's what the grunting noises were. I'm considering sabotage, theft of data, and creating a hostile work environment, he said, his grin sliding into seriousness. You corporate types seem to get worked up over those three. Cheap suit, cheap threats, I said. Everything I need is right there. He tapped my tablet, sitting in an evidence bag next to his right hand. His smirk slid back into place. Not bad for a self-important little toady with delusions of significance. I rubbed my eyes. I was beginning to get a headache. I don't know if it was from the smell or the company. Probably both. Graves could have gotten her facts straight but at least she hadn't been recording. If Hakez suspected that jab was meant for him, he'd be tempted to pull that slug thrower and put a hole in me, the back bulkhead, and the outer rings. There's a reason that gun is illegal on the orbitals. Well, on most orbitals. Tablet's encrypted, I said. We'll break it. That piqued my interest. This had started off as a who's is bigger, but the risk associated with breaking into corporate data took it to a whole other level. My bosses at the Pan-American Free Trade Association would cut off funding for their little regime over that. All their tax-alternative compensation would dry up. They probably figured they'd vacuum the data, then toss me and the tablet out the nearest airlock, claiming some sort of industrial accident. What were they afraid I had accessed? Time to find out. Interesting fact, PAFTA data links aren't housed in a tablet. We carry them around for show but these data links are the corporation's little secret. At least for now. A specialized user, such as myself, will be injected with a syringe full of nanites. The nanites migrate to the Dura Mater and set up shop. A network node is created, and it accesses memory, optic, and oral pathways as needed. 
I squinted to activate the search overlay and put my head in my hands to avoid any questions. Plus, it made me look beat. They were probably congratulating themselves on wearing me down. Good for them. Everyone needs a hobby. I blink-scrolled through the captured data. The warrant was vague, alluding to non-specific property damage. There was nothing that indicated why my boss would consent to sending me way out here. An icon popped up in the lower right-hand side of my vision, indicating an available network. They had turned the jammers off. Unbelievable. All right, then. Time to take advantage of my host's generosity and surf their data core. I found my answer in less than a minute. My head snapped up, and my mouth fell open. Clones? You're cloning? Why? Haquez dropped into a crouch and gripped the butt of his sidearm. Now I took him seriously. Benitez winced and narrowed his eyes. He spoke without glancing at the security chief. Stand down. That won't be necessary. Yet. His gaze never wavered. What where? I shrugged and he sighed. We couldn't keep you out of our data stack if we tried, could we? No, I said. You couldn't. I didn't add without killing me. See, I can be taught. He took a breath. We generate necessary biomedical material at this facility. It is part of our culture, and we're well within our rights. There are easier ways to go about it, I said. How many can you house at this facility anyway? Twenty-five hundred? One thousand eight hundred seventy-three, he said. As I recall, your country's population is several orders of magnitude greater. We are not keeping them all in stasis at the same time. We bring them online as needed. My mouth fell open again. Online? It takes 13 years to mature a clone. How do you know when you'll need them? We are located here due to the high levels of radiation. The necessary material is subject to rapid replication and maturation under these conditions. How rapid? Days? Weeks? Months, he conceded. It takes months. I got it. Their central government clocked in about 1,600 or so representatives, counting children, boyfriends, and mistresses. Yeah, I got it. Whose clone is missing? I asked. This time, Benitez rubbed his eyes and sighed before answering. The compromised biomedical material in question belonged to Newton Stonehouse, the vice president's son. He is presenting with an advanced case of Spurnow's syndrome. He is dying. Spurnow's syndrome is an unfortunate side effect of living in space. It presents as a form of refractory logi anemia and does not respond to traditional treatments. A condition develops that causes some of the iron in a person's blood to separate from the hemoglobin. This decreases the amount of oxygen available to the tissues, causing the patient to experience suffocation and organ failure. The newly liberated iron in the blood comes under attack by the body's white blood cells, causing the patient's fever to spike over 42 degrees Celsius. Death soon follows, directly attributable to the destruction of the blood's oxygen bridge by catastrophically high fever. Or so my data link tells me. At minimum, Stonehouse was going to need a marrow transplant, a liver transplant, and a total blood replacement. There were a variety of options. Decellularized ghost organs, 3D bioprinting, target replication, even donations from friends and family. 
But these guys chose whole cloning, and in their case, the necessary material was missing. Swell. Given the right genetic material, you could clone anyone. I had never seen the appeal, but to each his own. Benitez talked Taquez into not shooting me. I appreciated that, but I was going to press for more information. You want me to find the missing clone, that sound about right? I asked. We are requesting you recover the compromised medical material, he replied. Do you know who took it? We do. The silence stretched out. May I speak with them? I was good. I didn't roll my eyes. Benitez called the security chief over and whispered in his ear. Jaquez shook his head violently. He didn't want to do whatever the counselor suggested. Benitez spoke sharply, and Jaquez stormed out of the room, slamming the door. She will be brought to us. She? I asked. Judith Traxmeyer, maintenance engineer four. She is a new employee, been with us for about 18 months. She has some strong opinions, fancies herself an activist of some sort or another. I have a note in my file to contact human resources and determine who cleared her for boost. I realize we are hurting for skilled labor, but we cannot have them turning a blind eye to obvious agitators and anti-courts. Given her behavior, I do not believe living and working in deep space agrees with her. I ignored the editorial. Maintenance engineer. So, she has access to every section on the station, I said. Benitez nodded. That explains how she was able to hide the freezer. She's probably aware of the areas you haven't heard of. Cryogenic unit, he said abruptly. We don't call them freezers. And no, she didn't hide one of those units. They are all accounted for. We have swept this station twice, inside and out, and have discovered no sign of the missing material. We would have found it eventually. However, the criticality of the situation has markedly increased. Stonehouse is on his way here? I asked. Yes. They have placed him in cryogenic stasis for the trip. We expect him any time in the next 20 hours. You have that long to find the missing material, assess the damages, and charge the perpetrator. I scrubbed my face. All this correct speak was making me tired. In reality, this was a local matter, but it concerned a Veep's son, meaning corporate oversight. I really just wanted to get this over with and get back to civilization. Yeah, fine. Just tell me what I'm looking for, if not a free cryo unit. He gave me a look. I ignored him. Again. Is it an insulated body bag? Old-fashioned steamer trunk? What? The door opened during my question, and Hakez frog-marched a defiant and disheveled woman into the room. I could tell by the look on her face that she heard me. She grinned through her bruises. He didn't tell you, did he? She said, eyes all aglitter. The necessary material is on walkabout. Come again? I asked, not believing my ears. Hakez reached a hand back to strike her, and she flinched. At the same moment, Benitez opened his mouth to try some damage control. I held up my hand. Hakez, do that and I'll have you up on obstruction charges, I said, clearly and deliberately. He looked at me and must have believed what he saw. He dropped his arm. And counselor, I said to Benitez, I'll get your assessment in the moment. Right now, I want to hear from Miss Traxmeyer. Find her a seat, chief. Benitez must have thought I meant Hakez. 
because he just folded his arms and sat there. Akez grumbled something guttural and slammed a chair into the back of Traxmire's knees. She collapsed into the seat, grinned still firmly in place. I spread my hands. Miss Traxmire? Griffin has been freed, she said. Who is Griffin? I asked. I believe she is referring to the biomedical material in cryostasis unit 1138, Benitez said. Counselor, I interrupted. Be with you in a moment. He looked pained and uncomfortable. Miss Traxmeyer, for the sake of those who have missed the context portion of the evening, you are going to have to be more detailed. She did an imitation of a guppy, then looked at me like I was an idiot child. I swear, it must have been a full moon. That always brings out the crazies. Never mind that we're on the other side of the sun. There's something about the pull of that vixen that just messes with people's heads, no matter where they are. I mean, I freed the person trapped in CU-1138, she said. There was no person in that unit, Benitez said hotly. I shot him a dirty look, then continued. You are admitting to destroying the Stonehouse's property? No, she said, turning serious. Nothing was destroyed. I freed a person. Miss Traxmire, please, I said. I was getting pissed. This was all basic ed stuff. It's a clone, pure and simple, replicated with just enough gray matter to sustain autonomic functions, and no more. Don't tell me you defrosted it and turned it loose to shamble about the station. She sat back and crossed her arms, anger creeping into her face. You're a bigot. No, I'm a colonial marshal. You are under investigation for destruction of private property, trespassing, and attempted murder. She blanched. She had been all right with the charges up until the last. I haven't murdered anyone. That's not what I'm about. I'm freeing people, not killing them. You need a little reality. Okay, I said. How about this? The man whose clone you've compromised is deathly ill and on his way here. Without access to his property, he will die in agony. Your charge will then change from attempted murder to murder with special circumstances. That real enough for you? You don't understand, she pleaded. Griffin isn't just a thing. He's not just a mass of tissue or medical material. He's an individual. I was so tired of the crazy. She kept saying the same thing over and over, hoping the repetition would make it so. Maybe I could use that. Miss Traxmeyer. No, too formal. May I call you Judith? She nodded. Judith, where is Griffin now? I object to the personification of this property, Benitez said, nearly shouting. Technically, this material is part of this man's body, and as such he is entitled to do with it what he wishes. You have no say in the matter. Do you want it back or not? I asked. He quieted. I... I need to talk to him, she said. What? I asked. You do realize that Griffin can't speak. She gave me the idiot child look again. Of course he can. The location of this station is in the middle of the solar flare zone. I'm sure you were briefed. I nodded. The radiation that promotes rapid cellular growth isn't picky. It promotes that growth everywhere. It's almost cancerous with its speed. It was my turn to get a little paler. So the brainstem, I began. 
differentiates into a fully functioning brain. She said, There's no proof of that, Benitez said. That's spaceport legend. Your memo to the executive office, dated September 5th of last year, says different. It reports that a Dr. Fordham postulated the likelihood of this occurring on the large scale, due to evidence of just such an occurrence on the small scale. He also asserted that such a large-scale event had likely transpired. I keyed my data link and pulled up the memo. Fordham's evidence was attached. It was complete and compelling. That is neither here nor there, Benitez said. The law does not recognize the personhood of any cloned or replicated material. Legally, you have stolen property from a government location using corporate resources to facilitate your theft. If you turn over the medical material immediately, and if that material is not compromised, I'll talk to the judge about you serving your sentences concurrently, instead of sequentially. She was not impressed. That concerned me. Your average activist can't wait to cut a deal once they start seeing lockdown time. Judith didn't seem to care. She had been detained, interrogated, some of it with advanced techniques, and her freedom imperiled. She was unmoved. This was almost personal. Bingo. Search her quarters, I said. We have. Hakez grated. Was she there, or was she out? Hakez scowled some more and consulted his tablet. Room searched. Occupant not present. Maybe she was out for a stroll with new friends, I suggested. No! She cried. He spun on his heel and keyed his calm, telling Graves to meet him at Traxmire's room. You ever notice how hospital beds make you look small? They found Griffin in Traxmire's room, watching an educational vid. He seemed unsurprised and came along without resistance. I spoke with him briefly, even went so far as to give him a standard IQ test. He scored over 160. I watched him sleep through the plastic that separated ICU from the medbay proper. After a while, I noticed that Benitez had joined me. He rubbed his face. There had been a lot of that going on lately. I heard from EarthGov Judicial. The legal status is unchanged, he said quietly. That is still the property of Newton Stonehouse. I'm not sure it matters much at this point. The test results came back, I asked. He nodded. Spirnow syndrome is confirmed. Genetics bred true. The vice president turned his son's shuttle around and is bringing him home for targeted replication. It turns out the boy is an ideal candidate for the procedure. But if it doesn't kill him, it'll ground him. I nodded. Low G caused the condition. It was unlikely his father would allow activities that would hasten its return. That procedure would likely help Griffin, too, I said. Likely, Benitez nodded. However, the family wants the material disposed of. The material, I said. The walking, talking material. The material named Griffin. Yes, he said. I'm given to understand the procedure is painless. Surgical shears sever the top of the spinal column. Secession of life functions is instantaneous. I don't want to hear that, I said. Neither did I. Benitez replied. He shifted his stance. We will be bringing charges against Ms. Traxmire for terrorism. I nodded, not caring. Her defiance in the face of defeat gave me cold chills. 
I had the hotshot IT guys search the data core. They found a worm buried deep in the stacks. Strike one. In the event Traxmire was taken from the station, the worm would have triggered the release of the remaining 1,872 clones, making resources for everyone critical. Strike two. Current scans put the clone's potential brain function at 125% of normal. They were smarter copies. Strike three. An example had to be made. Didn't matter. Traxmire had committed suicide by Haquez when she found out Griffin was symptomatic. Guess they'll be prosecuting the estate. Are you going to be disposing of any more material? I asked. I am not at liberty to comment on any of our clients' intentions, Benitez said, staring straight ahead. It was to be a clean sweep, citizens getting rid of their unwanted possessions. I tried to picture it like they were going to a fat farm to shed some unwanted pounds. I tried. It didn't help. Suddenly, I needed to leave. Is that shuttle I came on still here? I asked. Yes, Benitez said. I think so. Why don't you consult your handy data link? Yeah, why didn't I? It was still in port, but due to pull out in less than an hour. I left Benitez without saying another word. I admired him, but we were both still dicks. Graves met me at the airlock with my duffel bag, my tablet, and my sidearm. Marshal, she said, handing my possessions over. I slung, buckled, and pocketed. She cycled the door open. Do you think this was an isolated incident? She said. Or do you think she had done this before? I don't know. I guess if I gave it any thought, I'd say given the amount of preparation she made and how cool she was under pressure, it's a good bet she had done this before. Too bad, really. Why is that? I stepped into the lock. I liked the clone, Griffin. Given a chance, he might have... Sir? Never mind, Graves. Might-haves are a waste of time. I sighed. Look me up once you get planet side. She cycled the airlock closed. Through the viewport, I saw her blonde hair floating over one eye. I snapped my fingers. Veronica Lake! That's who she reminded me of. Veronica Lake. Thank you, sir. But my job is here. She said, through the interlock calm. And don't worry about Griffin. We look after our own. Paul Ellis is an avid reader and chronic procrastinator. He bides his time producing and voicing podcasts for MythBehaving.com, City Newsnet, and the Dark Justice Podcast. He's taken a turn at the Roundtable Podcast, written Foothold, a nifty short story for the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, another about a detective's run-in with a bunch of Celtic gods in 1950s Los Angeles in the Dirty Magic LA anthology, and plans a run at the presidency. That last part isn't true. However, he and his wife are raising three lovely daughters in the central Virginian Piedmont, and he is presently completing the sequel to the aforementioned story. When not otherwise engaged, he lurks on Facebook, Twitter, and occasionally at his own site, paulkellis.com. Oh, Dad Jr. Yeah, we love Dad Jr. I love you, Dad Jr. For those of you who don't realize it, yeah, he did a voice in his own story. He was Benitez. It was funny. Yeah, that wasn't me. Nope. But if you want to hear more from him, guess what else we have? An interview. We have a little seasoning with Paul K. Ellis himself. Dad Jr. So here we go.
We are here live at Balticon 49 with Paul Ellis of Wireless Adventures. I've forgotten the tagline, so I'm all the thrills with no strings attached. <laughs> How are you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? I'm a little ashamed, but what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to start off with the question we've been asking everyone. Sure. What of your writing, published or unpublished, mm-hmm. have you been most surprised to find yourself writing? Actually, I think the thing that uh, has surprised me the most is uh, my horror. I, I did a, a little flash fiction piece. It's about a thousand words long. Uh, it's called The Cookie. Now, I, I, while I do enjoy horror, it's not something that uh, I've got a deep, passionate connection with. And it, it turned out to be so creepy that uh, my wife read it once, and she won't read it again. She doesn't want to talk <laughs> about it. She doesn't want to discuss it. Um, it's about this uh, – well, I won't go into it because it's out at my site, paulkellis.com. Uh, <laughs> you can go out and, and uh, take a read there. But it's basically about this uh, guy who winds up getting done in by a Girl Scout. So there you go. <laughs> uh, it's the cookie. So it's uh, it was a lot of fun to write it, but I was very surprised that I was able to get the that level of uh, creep factor into it. Because that's not, not something I would normally associate with me. Well, kids are really creepy. Can be. Well, well I seriously, know. You, I have too. well, no, seriously, you get those commercials where you just hear him playing "Ring Around the Rosie" real slowly, yeah. and "Creep Factor," you know, times a billion. Right? Yeah, so, absolutely. Because you, know, you always get the creepy little kid as the one that survives the horror movies. They're here. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, since the horror is obviously more out of the way for you, what mm-hmm. is it that you do tend to write more regularly? Well, you know, you you write what you read. Um, and uh, a lot of my reading has been in the old pulp uh, genre itself. I grew up reading the old uh, uh, Bantam reprints of Doc Savage and The Shadow and The Spider. And uh, then I went to a phase where I read an enormous amount of John uh, Norman, which I'm uh, a little ashamed to admit to. Uh, and uh, then I went through and uh, read the entire series up to the point there were either two or three hundred at that time of, of the Mac Boland series. So I went through the whole action adventure, he man of the universe type phase. And a lot of my writing tends to be very pulpy, very noir based, no happy endings type thing. So. Oh dear. So, so what the hell were you reading when you wrote the cookie? Uh, I, the, it, the, cookie <laughs> the ingredients list. There you go. Um, that, well, it was one of those pieces that kind of comes across and they say, you know, step outside your comfort zone, write something that you don't normally write. And I was thinking, well, and it was, it's what is, what, what ratchets up the suspense and the, in the eerie factor? Well, in the omen, it was Damien, mm-hmm. who was a kid, uh, in, um, the shining, it was the, the, the twins mm-hmm. that kept appearing in the hallway. At the time, my daughter was playing an awful lot of Bioshock. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I even forget the name of the, of the, of the, of the girl that was in there, but oh, and she was, they're really creepy too. Mm-hmm. So that was what gave me the idea. Um, but I think, uh, more to the point that it was when every time you walked into a grocery store at the time, you were assaulted by 10,000 little Girl Scouts. I like cookies. And, and, uh, so it may have been a little bit of that as well. Okay, so what's your favorite Girl Scout cookie? <laughs> Schmores. Um. <laughs> All right, so talk about the writing. Uh, what would you consider to be your greatest strength as a writer? I'd write. Uh, I think I write very really good dialogue. I do, um, and uh, it's all very action-based. I would agree, having read the submission you've sent to yeah. us. <laughs> Ding. <laughs> 
which will be coming up soon. Yeah, sometime, uh, sometime this fall, I think. If, yeah. if I ever get around to my voice acting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Shame all around. Now we've all been shamed. Shame. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what I think my strength is, is I, I can write dialogue, I think, very well. Um, and I, I enjoy that type of interaction with the characters. Mm-hmm. So we like to flip that around too. What has been your greatest weakness, and how have you striven to overcome it? My te- my greatest uh, st- my biggest weakness is technically, uh, I am a comic. I'm a kamikaze. <laughs> I will put commas where they don't belong. They go everywhere. So, so you write like walk and talks. Yes, <laughs> I do. I do. Oh uh, yeah, I definitely like that. I'm that way with um, hyphens and ellipses. Yes. <laughs> so I, I I struggle with that. It's not something that I've overcome. I recognize it as a weakness. I depend upon really good editing. Uh, my wife is a fairly decent editor, um, and she catches 95 percent of everything that I do wrong all the time. Not talking about writing. Uh, hey, happy so, wife, happy life. There you go. Just saying. Uh, so there's that. Um, and and she's a real good litmus, too, for how the story is going. Because if she really enjoys the story, then I know that I'm headed down the right way as far as is keeping people engaged and entertained. Uh, if she's like, eh, it's all right. Uh, I know that it needs so it needs to be punched up. Somewhere. And if she only agrees to read it once. <laughs> well, then, then I know it's really creepy. <laughs> and I need to submit that. you probably that. did it right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so that's pretty much all we've got. Uh, so oh. where can people find you on the interweb? Uh, well, you can go out to paulkellis.com, and there's links to all my social media there, and that's where you can find me. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dad Jr. <laughs> he is a great guy. He's a lot of fun, and you know, for someone who writes such gritty stuff... He is so sweet. Mm-hmm. Seriously, you might be intimidated by him just for reading what he writes. Don't be. No. This guy gives great hugs. Fun fact, he was on the Way of the Buffalo podcast last year, and they started talking about us, and he said that we're fun at parties. We are indeed fun at parties. We should have a party right now. Okay, maybe not a party. Let's just do a promo. Okay. Ever notice that it gets dark just before it's time for bed? That's pretty convenient, isn't it? I can think of a dozen uses for Vegemite. Not a single one involves actual consumption. Hundreds, sometimes thousands, of random and quirky thoughts flip through our little brains every day. Thinking about founding the International Order of Dainty Silk Underwear Inspectors. Strictly for science, of course. Sometimes we allow those thoughts to surface long enough to be recognized as hidden gems. Don't look now, but I'm naked. Under my clothes. Scott E. Pond has been collecting his random thoughts and observations for the last six years. Mental Graffiti contains the best of the best, hand-selected for you for this volume. Whoever let loose ninja goats into my dream last night, screw you! You ruined a perfectly good top-secret mission I was on with Celine Dion. Mental Graffiti. Available on Amazon in both ebook and print on January 29th, 2016. Sometimes you need to take a can of spray paint to your brain. Other times, your brain is the spray paint. <laughs> I knew those guys. They did sound really familiar. I know. I wonder if somebody wrote a story about us.
We'll get to that later. Oh, okay. So now we have something that has become quite a fan favorite. <laughs> something that you hear coworkers giggle at while listening to it at work. Yeah. Something that uh, gets quoted. Such memorable quotes as butts on trees. Butts on trees. We have a mystery meal. This one is the balcony scene from Romeo and Juliet. And it is going to be slaughtered by Theo Kasmark. This is unedited material. Don't forget that. <laughs> yeah. Enjoy. Have fun. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have to say it. But soft. <laughs> <laughs> but soft. What light through yonder window deliberates. It is the East, and Juliet is the Oxford comma. <laughs> so she is very necessary <laughs> and proper. Arise, fair sun, and repent the envious moon, who is already sick and pale with grief, that thou her maid art far more spicy than she. <laughs> Be not her maid, since she is envious. Her vestal livery is but sick and chartreuse. <laughs> <laughs> and none but fools do wear it. Warrant it off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it is my cheese grater. Oh, it is my love. <laughs> I do love cheese. <laughs> <laughs> oh, as she knew she were. She sidles. Yet she says nothing. What of that? Her eye discourages. I will finger it. <laughs> I am too curly. Tis not me, she speaks. No, I gotta do that again. <laughs> I am too curly. Tis not to me, she speaks. Two of the fairest ninjas in all the heaven. Having some business do entreat her eyes. To empower in their spheres until they return. <laughs> what if her spleens were there, they in her head? She has more than one spleen? <laughs> in her head. <laughs> the brightness of her cheek would chastise those stars. As daylight doth a lamp, her boobs in heaven... Would through the airy region stream so bright that aardvarks would sing and think it were not night. She ha see how she leans her rectum upon her hand. Ah! <laughs> oh, that I were a wrench upon that hand, <laughs> that I might avenge that cheek. You gonna fix that ass? Rectum <laughs> cheek. Well, there's your problem. <laughs> I liked that. <laughs> Did I ham it up enough? No. Man, I love those things. They're way too much fun. <laughs> Butt soft. Yeah. Butts on trees. Butt Meet soft. Butt soft. And she rests her rectum on her hand. And she has two spleens in her head. <laughs> Juliet is special. Yeah, that's why Romeo loves her so much. Shoot, I pick me some Rosaline there, yo. Okay. I'll never do that again, I'm sorry. Thank you. You're welcome. 
But you know what else I love besides mystery meals? Me? No, that's Theo. But best friend love? Yeah, fine. Yay! I'm loved. I love that they're audience participation. Yes. Because we're trying to build a community here. And we're taking this to the next step. Today, our Patreon launches. Woo! Patreon! For those of you who don't know how Patreon works, you basically help artists create things. You give us dollars and we use it to create more content for you. Mm -hmm. You get rewards from us. Yep. So our Patreon, we have a couple different backer levels that will get you physical swag, uh, bonus content, and some other special things. And any backing that you give us will just help us to pay writers, get stories, help us eventually pay voice actors, upgrade our website. We have a couple of different goals, too, so you can see what your money's going to. Mm-hmm. So head over to patreon.com. I think our link is patreon.com slash the melting podcast, but I'm not 100% on that. It will be in the liner notes. So check there for something that's actually correct. And Just in case AF is wrong, yeah. because it does happen occasionally. Shh. I say occasionally. I'm being nice. Back us so we can do more things. Yeah, we, we'd love to also take in input from you guys. You become one of our backers. It facilitates a lot of conversation. Mm-hmm. Let us know what you want from us. Yeah. Plus, you know, to go hang around Facebook and Twitter because we're going to be having some more mystery meal prompts out soon, and anybody can do those. So. Yeah, mystery meals. Yeah. But earlier you mentioned something about people writing stories about us. Yeah. What, what What's up with that? Well, we do have our prompts. We do indeed. So if you want to write a Stoke the Fire story, 1,500 words or less, we've got two prompts open right now. We have prompt number seven, write a story featuring a member of the podcast crew as a main character. Or all three. Yeah. It's been done, but it could be done again. It could be done again. Seriously, make Theo the Dish Boy a fop. He needs A, a British fop. He needs to be a British fop. He can do the voice. It's great. It'll, yeah. And we also have prompt number eight, which is a newer prompt. Aliens have given you a super sense. How do you use it? Sniffing butts on trees. But soft. Soft butts on trees. Soft butts on trees. Yes. Wow. See, this is what the mystery meals do to us. Inside jokes that you're a part of. Help us write more. 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 I like more. I like more. 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 On. You're not. On. Joining me. You're a jerk. <laughs> I don't like you. Well, I don't like you, but I like our listeners. I love our listeners, so there. Well, they need to send us stuff. They do need to send us stuff. Send us stuff. And we'll use it to feed the masses. Bye! Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at... TheMeltingPodcast.com You can also find us on Twitter... At MeltingPodcast. Or you could email us. TheMeltingPodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. Send us stuff. stuff.